Welcome to Not Just Pretty Pictures. I'm Eric Rutherford. Today, I'll be chatting with Sharon Stone, award-winning actress, activist, and mother, about her fantastic new memoir, The Beauty of Living Twice, in which she shares her harrowing recovery from a brain aneurysm, redefining her place in Hollywood, why she wore that infamous Gap mock turtleneck to the Oscars, and letting go of the Sharon Stone she played for the cameras in order to live her truth and become the woman she is today. If you haven't yet heard the reading in the last episode, I would recommend listening to it because not only do we talk about it in this conversation, but also because she's an incredible storyteller and a beautiful writer. Are we rolling yet? Yes. But so okay. we won't, we won't include, we can, you know, finish, you know what, you and I will just talk. What we'll do is. Oh, it's okay. Let, I'm just having a little butterscotch because it always reminds me of my dad. And it oh. always grounds me so much if I have a little butterscotch. Oh, no, it's I'm like with my you. My dad always carried a roll of butterscotch in his yep. pocket. Yep. I have a little half a butterscotch and I feel like oh, I'm okay again. I'm with you. I have a few of those things that I do myself. Yeah. Do you tell me one? Oh, uh, Believe it or not, my dad used to tell me, trust yourself, the narrower the road, the greater the freedom. And I say that to myself in the sense of the clearer we are about ourselves, the more we can be ourselves in this world, trust the path that you are on. God does not let you down. I don't think there's anything that could be more moving or correct for me to hear today. Thank you for sharing that with me. You're welcome. My road has always been pretty freaking narrow. <laughs> I that's listen, but that's I think that is one of the fantastic things about you and and you know in reading your book again, Sharon, the beauty of living twice. I, I you know you and I were messaging back and forth. It one, it's beautifully written, and I felt like. I was talking with a friend and it was late at night. We were sharing these stories and weaving the past and the present and intimate feelings from the heart and talking about trauma and healing and the joys of living. And, and it was all mixed in together. And I loved, loved how obviously the whole, that visual of you and the gurney and standing up and, and, and the moment that you have and telling them to stop and, you know, and, and dealing with your brain. But then flashing back to when you were a child, I, I, one, thank you. Thank you for writing such a beautiful book. Oh my God. Thank you. And it's true. I wrote it late at night. I, um, you know, cause when you have, when you're a single mom <laughs> I was gonna... and you have three boys, you know, it's too chaotic. Yeah. Um, to write or to do anything for yourself <laughs> um, during the day. So you have to wait till you get them all tucked. And yeah. then, you know, that's when your day begins. And the older they get, the later that gets. Yeah. So generally, I was writing after 10, 1030 and working into the wee hours. And I really felt like the best thing I could do was to put on some music Mm. and wait for my muse to show and then we <laughs> my my lovely muse and I would write to this person or persons that I just felt were a, an actual presence mm. and that I believed that I was actually writing too. I want, I love that. I, um, 
you know, part of the reason I wanted to start this podcast, not just pretty pictures was, you know, I believe we're all storytellers mm-hmm. and I believe we can heal through telling our story and also sharing our story mm-hmm. and listening to other people's stories. And I started writing again during the pandemic and to hear you find this muse and, and writing to this muse and sharing these stories and opening up your heart. It, it's a comforting to me to hear that because, you know, in all those stories that you were sharing, I was, um, they made me laugh. They made me cry. They made me reflect. I mean, there's so much, I, I want to ask you too, how did you come up with the, the title, the beauty of living twice? It really, I often, um, what I believe about all my work, whether it's acting, painting, writing, is that I'm a worthy conduit Mm. and that I get to be a worthy conduit if I keep myself together and Mm. that I open myself for this great energy to come through me. And that sometimes I get to spend the day with fabulous people, fabulous artists, fabulous beings that want to have an opportunity to speak through me. And I just feel this incredible gratitude that I get to witness it. Mm. Uh, Really, frankly, I don't really feel like it has all that much to do with me much of the time. This particular book, of course, did have something to do with me. Just a little. um, And required my cooperation. And, you know, sometimes my cooperation came fluidly and easily. And sometimes I just sat there and cried. Sure. And sometimes I thought everything was hilarious. <laughs> and it depended on, sometimes on the music I was listening to, quite frankly. Sure. Oh, what can I ask? What might be some, the, you know, one of the songs that you might listen to or the music or is it? It just it depends. Did, sure. I mean, you know, my standard go to is I often listen to Sam Smith radio. Oh. Yeah. That's like just my favorite radio station. I go to Sam Smith radio often, but you know, Sam Smith, Sam Smith radio changes at night. Oh, and it changes on what night you're on because weekend nights get kind of like party time. Oh, all right. And then, so sometimes I listen to Chet Baker radio Mm -hmm. and then sometimes I go back to my, we would say roots (laughs) (laughs) and I listen to Marshall Tucker band or Steve Miller oh, yeah. band or some of these song, this music that was from my childhood, or sometimes I listen to, and we would say Detroit, mm-hmm. Detroit Motown, Yeah, just depending on which, what I'm kind of going for and what I'm kind of looking at. Sure. Was there a place when you started writing? That was your jumping off point. Like this is the story that you knew that this is where I started from or, or, or did that change or, but that's how you launched. That's how you jumped into it. Yes, there was. I mean, when I really finally determined that I was going to write a memoir, mm-hmm. I mean, I could write 17 memoirs because there's so many different um, extraordinary opportunities that my life has availed to me where, you know, I've traveled all over the world. I've worked as an actress, but I've also traveled all over the world working in, you know, various humanitarian positions. So I've met so many extraordinary people and I've lived in Africa and I've lived in all these different countries. And so which aspect of my 
my life was I going to discuss the political aspect of changing laws and working for these various causes? Was I going to talk about living in apartheid Africa during the apartheid revolution? Was I going to talk about what what part, you know, right. AMFAR? Was I going to talk about working on the AIDS thing for, you know, three decades? What was I going to deal with? And then I thought, you know, really, I want to answer my own questions. Like if I'm going to deal with a memoir, the, the first thing I have to do is find out who I am. Of course. Before I can start writing all these other things. Right. So who am I? Like my first look at a memoir should be figuring out who I am so that when I, if I write anything further, I write it from a very grounded, evolved perspective. So I thought, well, we better start looking at who are you mm. and how'd you get there? And what happened? And why are you this? So I decided to do that first intentional look at who are you? Why are you? And what happened? I love to hear that. Like, you know, it's, you know, that actually, I mean, my mind wants to ask you too about being older in Hollywood, because to me, what you've just said, it took your life experience to be able to look back at your life. Right. You know, and the value of that and the worth, the worth of that, that those experiences. And, you know, one of the, um, the moments that I would love to talk about is because I'm a big hugger. Right. And when you talk about when you met Ama, the hugging saint. Right. And what she told you about, about the cage. Exactly. Could you talk a little about that? It just, that stayed with me. Oh, sure. Thank you. I, um, well, first of all, my parents were depression era survivors mm. and they were people who did not get hugs like not only didn't get hugs didn't get any hugs and were really violently ab abused mm. both of them so when they came together they came together they were each other's real lifeline and they had a huge love they loved each other madly and they loved each other chemically and they loved each other um, they had that real olfactory connection, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, they had it, they had the, it you want to have, mm -hmm. you know, they were, you know, still making out 60 years into the relationship. They I love had, that. <laughs> they had super chemistry. My parents were chemically in love and madly chemically in love. Like they had pheromonal in love. Mm. And they were both super good looking. <laughs> and, you know, they had, um, my dad really had swagger, you know, uh -huh. and was a gentleman, like a gentleman, but he was tough as nails. And he was, you know, not tall. He was about my height, but Schwarzenegger kind of musculature because sure. he was a die sinker picking up steel blocks every day. So, you know, his forearms were like the size of your leg. Yeah. You know, so and he had a really deep voice and was really, really handsome. And my mother was really beautiful with dark hair and those sort of husky blue eyes and red, the red lipstick all the time, you know, and she was, you know, so they were quite, quite the snazzy couple, you know, mm -hmm. but they had that kind of like clinging to each other survivalistic love mm -hmm. that didn't really have a space in between it that was huggy lovey-dovey for their kids right they didn't have get one lick of that 
as children at all. So that wasn't the kind of thing that they were available for. Like right. they had no, they had no uh, example of that, like less than zero. Right. And so I didn't have any understanding about, like I would get a hug after I got the shit beat out of me. Right. Like we did that because we love you. Right. Now right. come here and give me a hug. Right, right. That's you know, right. and be like, oh no, <laughs> no, I don't want to hug you. You just hit me with a belt and I like I welts all over me. I don't want to hug you. Like, oh, you know, so hugging didn't hold like that great, like, right. Right. you know, warm and yes. yummy feeling for yeah. me. It was like, just get off me, right. you know? So, um, I, you know, I had to learn about hugging. Mm-hmm. And so when I first met Ama, I, she was given what is, um, you know, France's version of the Medal of Freedom. Oh, sure. Yes. And they invited me to give it to her. And so that was like, yeah. Uh, and then after I gave it to her, I was like, but I really would like one of those hugs. Right, right. That I so much about. And she hugged me and it was just like that hug that like you know how they say michelangelo knew the sculptor was inside the this the block of marble yes it was like she hugs you and she knows you're inside mm. that block of whatever you have been before mm-hmm. she hugs you until the thing you are inside comes out Oof. it's just unbelievable and she speaks to you in you know she's from bangladesh Mm-hmm. So she speaks to you in her language. And then, I don't know, in my case, she eventually just started saying, mother, daughter, mother, daughter, yes. mother, daughter, mother, daughter to me. And of course, I started weeping like a baby. Yeah. And she just started, you know, stroking my hair, mother, mm-hmm. daughter, mother, daughter, mother, daughter. And, you know, it just melted me. Yeah. And then whenever she would come to any country I was in, her people would always give me a heads up and say, would you like to come by? Alma would love to see you. And so she normally takes over like an entire floor of a gigantic hotel, like a Sheridan or like one of those hotels that have massive ballrooms on an entire floor. She takes all the ballrooms. And then like she's in the biggest one and there are people who sing and chant and people who meditate all day. And then there's healthy food stands and places you it's just everything you can imagine. It's just like walking into like Yummyville. That sounds it. <laughs> and so I always go down and then I sit and wait and then I go hug her and then I sit next beside her while she hugs other people mm-hmm. and talk to her for hours. And she'll always ask me, you know, what are you working on? And I'll tell her, you know, I'm working on, uh, you know, I'm doing this with AIDS and or I'm doing this with homeless kids or I'm doing this with uh, trying to get coats for kids who can't, you know, all go to school because they don't have coats or whatever it is I'm trying to do. And one day I went in there and said, I'm trying to forgive the unforgivable. And she just stopped and went, good one. How's it going? And I was like, well, first I said something else. And she looked at me like, no, you're not. Mm. And then I went, yeah, well, here's what I'm really doing. And then she said, well, so how's it going? And I said, well, it's doing good with the forgiving, 
but it's the unforgiving the unforgivable i just don't practically get what you do like how how do you practically do that so you don't get effed up yeah in the process because like i had already gotten to like forgive and remember right like forgive and forget is a little naive right you know what i mean i think forgive and remember is a little bit more like in terms of your own personal security a little bit smarter right right forgive and like you know file that somewhere so you don't do that again right so then i was like but but how do you forgive the unforgivable and she was like well you put the unforgivable in a cage and i was like so of course i'm very dramatic i was like like in the circus like where there's a tiger and you put it in there and she goes okay like that because you know i had to know like What's a cage like? I want one that has like a tiger in it and has all those stripes on the outside and like says circus. And you know, I had to have it be like a, you know, my cage had to be like fabulous and have wheels and be able to travel and have like things that, you know, like I had to have a very specific kind of cage for for my mentality. Like I shouldn't just have like a, you know, a box. So I had to have my cage. And she's like, good, that's a good cage, you know? I'm like, oh, good, thanks. <laughs> Thumbs up, <laughs> right. Good. And she's like, and now don't ever go to the cage. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then she's hugging people, you know? And, and I'm like, and? And she goes, and that's it. And I just sat there, I was like, oh, okay. And I'm like, but what if they like throw shit all over me? And she's like, you can take a shower. And I'm like, well, what if I get really scared? And what if I, what if I feel like I need help with all this shit that's happening? And she goes, you can get help. And I'm like, but what if they want me to come closer? She goes, no, no, you can't come closer. And I'm like, what if I want to go far away? She goes, go ahead. (laughs) I'm like, well, what if they say terrible things about me and other people believe them? She goes, you can get help, but you're not going to the cage. So, so what? Wow. And I'm like, well, but what if they keep saying things and it really hurts my feelings? And one of the things she goes, get over it. How, how were you processing all that? I just, I sat there for hours. Yeah. Just having to sit there with the, like, it would require my engagement for this to continue. Right. Like, and literally, then within two months, I was hit with like the worst, the unforgivable was like, mm. like really doing the worst possible, like, right. like, I'm really going to get you now. I'm really going to make this as hard as to, I'm just going to spit on you and acid and I'm just going to ruin your life. And I was like, I'm not going to the cage. You have to. I'm, I'm not going to, you're going to make you, I'm not going to, I've got to ask you, I've got to make you, I'm not ever going to make you, I'm just not going to, you're going to lose everything, then that's what's going to happen. And no matter what happened, I didn't go and nothing happened. I have chills. Every single possible threat, humiliation, uh, horror, 
every single thing that possibly could go through my mind, be told to me, be threatened of me, be put upon me, every single horror that I could possibly imagine, because of course a big part of this is my own manifestation, every possible thing that I could possibly imagine happened. <laughs> and the only thing I did was not go to the cage. Yeah. And you know what happened? Nothing. Yeah, it makes you take a breath. It took me almost a decade to really get confident <laughs> that it was true. Yeah. It took me so long to believe that it was true. Mm. To believe that when you don't participate with people who for any relation, any relationship is a good relationship, when you don't engage with negativity, with active violent narcissism, with all of that stuff that you just are no longer an interesting person, that you are a stupid, boring pile of poop that <laughs> nobody is interested in anymore. You're a stinky pile of boring poop and they're not interested in you anymore. You just have to be willing to be a nothing boring pile of poop for long enough that you're just not interesting anymore. Yeah. But there's such an ego part of you that's like, I'm gonna defend myself, it's not true. I can't, I wanna, I'm sad, I'm sad, you're hurting me. No, you can't do that, not to me. All those voices, Yes. you have to just stand still with them mm -hmm. and, and just don't, don't, let your ego eat you alive yeah. and don't let someone keep poking you in the eye till you blind yourself. Yeah. Did you, for you, cause that again, you, like you said, 10 years, it yeah. takes time. It's not, you know, when I was reading in the book, you know, one, I was having so many responses, but to hear you say it, that it, that's, it took like 10 years. Cause you know, I think so often people, they want a, that quick fix, right? Or they they think it should the healing process should go quicker, or should there should be a you know like a snap of the fingers. I have a very 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 close friend, mm -hmm. who I'm sure would not mind me telling this story because she has been sober for like 40 years, and she had a person in her life who she turned to and said, "Finally, you really know how to push my buttons." And the person said, I should, I installed them. Oh my God. That's and for me, that is such a template of what this sort of scenario is. Yes. And when someone gets where they really get what your buttons are mm -hmm. and will do that. You know, I met someone not that long ago who said, what are the things that you really hate the most? And I said like three things. Right. And then in the next couple of days, the person did all those <gasps> three things. And I was like, oh, I can never know you. And I need to really be far, far away from you because you're one of those people who's yeah. like, what are your buttons? Let me do it. Let me make sure I got them. Let me try them out. And I was like, oh my goodness, you're one of those 
you're one of those people. Oh, like <laughs> me, I know how to put you right in a teeny tiny little cage <laughs> and then get the heck away from you oh right away. Oh my God. Right? But that it's, is insane. Yeah. It is a thing. It is really a thing. Yeah. And, you know, probably that's something I might not have become as familiar with if I hadn't moved to a town where the wounded come. Right. <laughs> oh my God. That's a, okay. That's how, right. How, hell, welcome to Hollywood. I mean, it so is. There's, it's the wounded come. Yeah. Which I, you know what? That's one. I'm so glad that you brought, just brought that up because, you know, one of the stories, again, there's so many stories, Sharon, in here that I, you and I, listen, I just, I could talk to you for hours and there's so, and go deep and, and deep I'd like and deep. That. I would love that. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. You're the nicest person. Oh, thank you. I, I, that fills my heart. I really appreciate that a lot. Um, um, one of, uh, thank you. Um, welcome you know we talk about hollywood right and one of the reasons i wanted to title this not just pretty pictures is you know what pretty pictures are beautiful you know and there's something to be proud of you know yeah. and not to try but it's also it's the stories behind those pictures it's right. how we get here and you know talking about hollywood there's a moment in the book and i so remember this the gap mock turtleneck <laughs> That to me was, it's, you know, and I know this word now, this sense of icon and iconic moment gets bandied around. And, you know, to me it's, but to me, that was one of those iconic moments. And, you know, you bring it up to someone, they're like, and their eyes light up. They're like, oh my God, yes. But in reading the story around that and where you were and what got to that point, would you just talk about that? But even talking about like, Karen and Marge and Vera and your friend Ellen, because that moment, and then all of a sudden to have then those, that pretty picture of you arriving with your dad. And I still remember that smile, you were just beaming, but to now know the story behind it. Right. Would you talk about that a little? Well, um, there was a lot going on. Yes. Um, a lot of my friend, I had this whole just period of people dying. I had a friend dying of breast cancer. It was her second bout of breast cancer. And so, she, and she knew she was dying. And I had this amazing woman, Kristen, who was um, my bodyguard and driver. Yeah. And she was very young, 39, when she got neuroendocrine cancer, which is fatal. And so we were trying every conventional and non-conventional thing that we could do to extend her life expectancy. And my dad was sick. And I was getting divorced. Um, I mean, it was just... You know, it's a lot. It was a lot. There was a lot. A full blown shit show. Yeah. And Vera was making two dresses for me, mm -hmm. a beautiful pink dress. And then we were also experimenting with Fortuny fabric because we were both on this major Fortuny kick at the time. And we had taken this beautiful silver Fortuny fabric and we we're making this amazing like halter dress. But the Fortuny fabric was stretching every which way. 
and we were having trouble working with it because Vera and I, um, we like to really get in her workroom and like try all these different ideas. I, I, you may remember I wore like one of my husband's white shirts yes. with a taffeta skirt. When Still we one of my favorite here. looks, amazing. Right, because I, I just wanted to pay tribute to like, you know, when you are famous, your husband is practically invisible. And so I wanted to acknowledge him that he was with me right, right, right. when I was going. Right. Um, so things like that. We did all these fun things together. So the Fortuny dress at the last minute just wasn't happening. So we finished, she finished this beautiful pink dress that she had made and FedExed it to me. And it arrived like, you know, the day before or two days before, and the FedEx guy, it dropped out of the back of the truck and he backed over the box and the box broke open and the black tire track went down the front of this pale pink dress. So this was where I was at. And I was presenting two Oscars with Quincy Jones, who was one of the producers and a dear old friend and a fellow Pisces and nominated and not just nominated but nominated for me with my dream of my life which was working with bob de niro and joey and jimmy woods and for the great marty scorsese so this is for any kid who ever wanted to be an actor the biggest dream coming true that could ever happen and i don't have a dress and so I had Kristen, um, my bodyguard driver. I was like, I was calling Ellen Morajnik, who had done my costumes for Basic Instinct, who was my really dear friend. I was calling and calling her and I couldn't find her. And I was like, Kristen, go get her. Because she was like a tracker. She was like, a, had been a Brinks truck driver. She had been a marshal. Uh, you know, she had been everything. She was like, just you know, could do anything. I was like, track her down and bring her here. <laughs> yeah. We're like, I'm so screwed. And in the meantime, I was still taking care of my friend Marge, who was an amazing person. She was a writer on Seinfeld. She was hilarious and brilliant, Marge Gross. But she was in her final throes of dying from cancer. She'd, we'd already shaved her head. She was in bedridden. She was in really terrible shape. She could no longer eat. But she loved the smell of my mother's cooking and she wanted lemon meringue pies. Yes, I love and that so part. My mother had baked her two lemon meringue pies to put next to her bedside. So I had on Oscar Day <laughs> taken her over these lemon meringue pies. And I was in bed with her watching TV when all the people were going into the Oscars. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm supposed to be there. And she's like, you, 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 it's always about you. And I was like, oh, shit, I have to go home. I have to get dressed. And, you know, I didn't have a dress. And so Ellen is here and she's like, get me everything out of your closet that you really like just in black. Right. And so I just ran in and was throwing everything on my bedroom floor so we could see everything in this spread out kind of pile of random clothes. And we just picked out stuff that we thought we could make an outfit of, which was this Gap T-shirt, this uh, Valentino off the rack skirt to the ground. And it was actually a Giorgio Armani tuxedo velvet dress to the ground that I wore as a jacket. 
Yes. And then since Woody Allen had put a gardenia behind my hair in Stardust Memories, my dad took a gardenia out of the garden and gave it to me and I wore that on my lapel. And I just didn't know what to do. I was just freaking out. And I went like this. I had my hair in a French twist and I went like that to push in a pin and the sore pit. Oh God was ripped out of my t-shirt and my mother's like oh jesus christ and she's sewing the armpit of my shirt closed as i get as i'm getting running down the stairs to leave and i get in the car my mother's so psychic do you know what i mean and i'm the, i'm just like the windows going up on the limousine as we're pulling out of the driveway and my mother's against the window, you know, like this, oh, okay, honey, all right, okay. And the gate opens and my mother's just about to pull back from the window and she goes, fuck Susan Sarandon and starts to cry. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm gonna lose. And I realized that my mother just got hit with Susan Sarandon's winning the Oscar because her last tearful words were like oh honey have a good time and then she started to cry and she goes and fuck susan sarandon and tears and so i get into the oscars and i sit down with my dad and i'm on the aisle seat like Mm -hmm. second row you know poised to win because i'd won the globe yep all right, and Emma Thompson comes over and she's like, she's nominated. I mean, like everybody's nominated, Meryl Streep, like yep. everybody who's gonna win except me. And she goes, oh, I'm very excited for you. And I'm really happy and you did such a great job. And I'm like, Emma, I'm not gonna win. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, Susan's gonna win. And she goes, really? And I'm like, yeah, it's Susan. And she goes, oh God. And I'm like, yeah, I go, go, go tell her, go say congratulations from me too. and. So I, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, get it together. You're not gonna win, just be ready. And also Francis Coppola had already said to me, you know, you're not gonna win. Like oh. I didn't win for Raging Bull or uh, for Godfather, right, right. win for Casino. You're not gonna win, just be prepared. We're gonna be in the audience, we're with you, but you're not gonna win. Yeah. Right. And so I waited until they were co- gonna call the category and I turned to my dad and I'm like, dad, I'm not gonna win. And he goes, yes, you are. And I'm like, no, dad. And then they're gonna cut to us and you have to smile. And he goes, no. And I'm like, yes, dad, you have to smile like you're really glad. It's gonna be Susan Sarandon, she's gonna win. And they're starting to call the names. And he said, no, and he grabbed my hand and I'm like, dad, dad, we're on TV. Smile, it's now. And he's like, no. And I'm like, yes, dad. Now, big smiles, big smiles, right now, dad, big smiles. And it starts to tear up in his eyes. And I'm like, don't cry, dad. Dad, don't cry. And he goes, honey. And I'm like, we're not crying, dad. We're smiling. And he's squeezing the shit out of my hand. He's like breaking my hand. And I'm like, dad, we're happy. We're happy. We're happy. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love your dad. Right. And he looks at me and he's smiling with this look like I'm dying inside. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. See, this is this is so funny. This, these are the things like these are the stories right behind them. No one them. wants to tell the truth. No. no one wants to say like my heart was breaking. Yes. Of course, everybody wants to win. I looked at, at, at Meryl Streep and she had like sweat on her lip and I was like, Oh my God, Meryl Streep is sweating. This is fantastic. It's not just me. 
It's not just me. Meryl wanted to win too. Oh my God, I'm not insane. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it felt like, I felt like there is truth in here. Yes. There is. You can see the other women. They also hope to win. Sure. Well, I think everyone does. Well, listen, I think it's, Listen, you do it for the art. And that's what, you know, one of the things that I have you always loved. You do it loved. for the art until you get that phone yes. call yes. on the morning when it gets announced. Sure. And then you're like a wet dog yeah. running in circles for three weeks going yeah. like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What yeah. do you mean? What do yeah. you mean? I didn't care. I don't care. It's a thrill to be nominated. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh you know what actually you just made me think there's a moment in the book where you did it was a day right shoot the laundromat with Meryl Streep yes and how you used to think of her right differently yeah how you so how you thought right and then how you guys would you just talk like I get I think the thing that I I was it it touched me about you that story again it was only in a day, but how you both had been kind of tracking. Well, we've right? been in the same room with each other for decades and just been like looking at each other. And I thought, I'm not really in the room with her. Do you know what I mean? She's in the room, but I'm not really right. in the room right. with her. You know what I mean? Yes. Like she's over there. She's looking at me. I'm looking at her. We're kind of side eyeing, but you know. Because women are set up not to, we're, we've been always set up not to champion each other, not to be knowing each other, not to even say hi, mm -hmm. not to even say, I'm so excited about this. I'm excited for you. And oh my God, you were so amazing in that. Or you're so great. Or geez, like I never even imagined I'd be in the same room with you. Or wow, it's so cool to know you. And hey, you have kids too, don't you? You know what I mean? And then like all of a sudden, it just started to occur to me, like I don't have to be in this prescribed way. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't have to follow these rules, this whole thing. I don't want to be this anymore. Right. And I got this opportunity to go to work with Meryl for a day, but it was a big day because we met at a private airport we were in a very small group of like six of us. We flew on a private plane to another city. We worked all day, we flew back together. So there was all this time in the car, time on the plane, you know, this whole other adventure aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the time we were on the tarmac, we were talking about our kids. We were talking about what our kids do, how excited we were about our kids. She was about to be a grandma. You know, we were playing our, you know, our games on our phone. What are you playing? Oh, I'm doing this. And oh, my brother is like that. And oh, you do this. And, you know, all of a sudden we were just, you know, two women going to work. Yeah. And sharing our day and having this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experience together. And mm -hmm. I loved having this experience with her. And I loved working with her. Mm -hmm. I loved the opportunity to work with her. I was very proud to have this opportunity to work with this colleague that I thought, oh, you're so great. Yeah. And you're not some mystery and some monolith mm -hmm. and some label yes. and some out of reach 
I don't know, freak yeah. of nature, yeah. like thing that everybody keeps making yes. each of us out to be yeah. something that's not just a kid with a dream who came from some small town who hoped that something fabulous could happen in their life. And some of it did. Yeah. And yes. guess what? Some of it didn't. And terrible things happened along your way too. Yeah. And I'm sorry about that. Yes. You know, Meryl lost her partner yes, early no. in her life. Yeah. Her, her partner died very mm -hmm. early in her life and she lost her person. Yeah. You know, everything didn't go super smooth for her either. And we don't get to know all these things about each other. No. And we don't get to know like, wow, so that's happening in your life. And this is happening in my life. And we don't get to be normal, regular, what, what's happening. Right. That's one of the things that I, again, love about your book is truly the beauty of living twice. You've lived all of these stories and these experiences and the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows and the, and you kept showing up, you kept showing up, you kept showing up. And, and there's this, such a power in your book, Sharon, because to me, there were so many times where you could have given up, you know, and listening to, you know, share about Meryl, like there's so many times that we, again, we don't see behind the pretty pictures where someone is struggling or someone's overcoming or someone quit. You know, or that they people rallied around them to help them, you know, deal with mental health issues or to deal with trauma or to deal with addiction or or, or to deal with sexual abuse or whatever it might be. And you know, I had a great therapist, Eric. I had an amazing therapist who's yeah. now passed away. But I remember one day saying to her, What's you you've counseled so many people. What's the difference between marriages that last and marriages that don't? Ooh because I, I haven't had that. And I really want to learn. I want to learn that. And she said, they don't quit. I said, and that's it. She said, yeah, that's it. They do the work. Mm. They don't throw each other away like a Kleenex. Mm -hmm. They keep doing the work. Yeah. And I'm like, that's it. And she said, yeah, that's it. I said, that's the whole thing. And she said, yeah, that's the whole thing. And I said, so for all your years as a therapist, that's it? That's the whole thing? And she said, yeah. The people who make it, whether it's in a marriage or a career or a job or a, at anything, they make it because they don't quit. Sharon Stone, I have to tell you, you haven't quit. Right. You're, it's to me, you, you are a light. You're, you, are, you are humble about this. I know there's a persona around you and you talk about in the book that you created this to help you deal because you're really an introvert and you're really a nerd that wants to sit in the corner and yet yet you've become you became this thing to help you navigate and where you are today by not quitting to me is this incredible activist and mother and actress and just and this woman who's in who has a sense of herself and her belonging. And I know there's, and I know you talk about in the book, there's, there's still, there's still room to grow. But you know, I had that sense really early oh. in this town and uh -huh. that was very offensive. Mm. You know, it wasn't, um, it was very outre <laughs> when I had it. And the people that were offended by me are, uh, some of them are still quite offended by me. Sure. Um, the fact that it has become 
the words of Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris and Michelle Obama and the words of professional healthcare workers and mental health care workers and mm -hmm. it's becoming rules and laws and standards and practices the things that I fought for mm -hmm. um, that doesn't make the fact that I fought for them or that I insisted on them for myself it doesn't make me more likable to the people that I fought against or what they felt was the harshness or the I think that the I was considered a bitch and a diva and difficult and you know all kinds of words. Sure. Um, because I always believed those things that are now coming because I had the father I had. Yeah. Um, who was like your father? Mm -hmm. The narrower the path, the greater the success. But yeah. my father really really told me not to make myself less to be liked not to make myself less to be included not myself less make myself less to be successful to be to achieve not to take the short road that it was okay yeah. if i worked less it was okay if i was liked less it was okay if i was understood less it was okay if I was ejected, right. you know, it was okay to just put my head down and take my lumps and tell the truth. Yes. But that the truth would be perceived as being an unkind person or a difficult person or a mean person sure. or a cavalier person, but that it would be okay yeah. if I just kept my head down, stayed cool, mm -hmm. understood that like while I was making, you know, an nth of what the men were making to do things. Sure. Ask for my wardrobe. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be able to buy the kind of clothes other people were buying to show up where I had to show up. So ask for your wardrobe. Mm -hmm. um, you, then if you can't wear it, you can give it to charitable things and you can be beneficial to other people. Ask for everything that isn't nailed down because you're not getting paid. Yeah. So, well, if you, and if you don't ask, then you'll you never know, get. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So ask for everything you can get in yes. lieu of the fact that you aren't getting paid. Ask for whatever else you can get so that you can be of service to yourself and others. Yes. So don't be afraid that yeah. people are going to think you're like a grubber. Because yeah. guess what? Go ahead and yeah. grub it up because you're making five cents on the dollar. So do what you need to do to keep yourself afloat. Yes. Do what you need to do so that you pay cash so you don't get yourself in debt. Yep. Keep your head above water. Just because you live in a nice house doesn't mean you're going to have any cash. <laughs> God, that, hello, yes. Right? Yep. Don't, you know, fix the house up as you can afford to. Get yourself a place to live that you can pay for. Don't make repairs you can't pay for. Don't buy things because you're going to get a job. You know, keep your feet on the ground. Don't do anything you can't pay for. So like when I try to tell people, you know, I can't afford that, they look at my house and think, are you insane? 
but like, no, because I can only afford what I have had the recent job sure. that I can do. Yes. What I have already is what I already paid cash for. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, I get you think I'm rich. No, <laughs> I'm intelligent. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> no. Right. No, I'm hardworking and I've invested in me. Yes. Yes. You're, and you're a good investment. I have yeah, to say. I'm not like a person who was like, oh, I'm rich. Let me go buy six cars. Oh, look at me. I have four houses. No, I'm thoughtful. Mm -hmm. I build on what I do, but no, I, I'm not like uh, money bags. You sure. know what I mean? Because that's not how our, our life goes. You no. know, no. we get a job, then there's a writer's strike for two years. Yep. Then we start working, then there's like a Screen Actors Guild strike, then there's the, you know, producer strike, and then you're out of work for three or four years, you know, yep. so you, you never know. No, you don't. You mm -hmm. don't. Well, listen, you know, it's, I think that's a great way of looking at just life, right? Live every day, be present, mm -hmm. don't live in the future, or right. don't live in the past. Right. Right? So, and again, that's one of the things, reasons I love about your book. It mm -hmm. feels so in the moment. Right. You know, and that you, yes, you're talking about the past, but it's the things that you, you've learned and gone through and grown through and you're not projecting into the future, but this is where I am now. Right. And is where I am now something that's gonna, I have no idea where it's gonna take me. I keep, you know, I go through, I have these affirmations that I look at and they're like, you know, I'm prepared for everything that's coming in the future. And I'm like, you know, I can't check that as me because I have no idea. Sure. People are like, what are your goals? And I'm like, to get through today, <laughs> to make it for now, you know, to stay in what I'm doing right now and complete that cycle of action. Yep. Well, Sharon, I have to say today, thank you for thank you. taking the time to talk with me, taking the time to share your stories for this storytelling series. It, it has meant so much to me and I, I am deeply, deeply grateful to you, to your incredible book and you sharing it. And um, I hope we get to continue having these conversations together. And that I you, do and I do too, I look forward to that. I hope we, I'm vaccinated now. Me too. Well, then we can hang out. We're gonna hang out, I prompt, done. Everyone Good. heard that. We're going to, Sharon Stone and I are going to hang out and we're going to continue this conversation. So, who wouldn't want to hang out with you? You're the nicest person. Um, but thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having me. I really enjoyed our talk. Good. It's a nice way to spend a Saturday afternoon. Thank you. The feeling is mutual. Thank you, everyone, for listening. My heartfelt thanks to Sharon for your time and your story. I'm filled with gratitude to be able to share this moment with you and talk about the beauty of living twice. As someone in her 50s who has survived trauma and Hollywood, you're someone who is thriving by sharing stories of empowerment and positivity and a beautiful example of never giving up before the miracle happens. You're always welcome to come back and share more stories with us. Before we go, I wanted to let you know that next week will be the final reading of season one and it will be by yours truly. A story very personal to me. Not Just Pretty Pictures is hosted by me, Eric Rutherford, produced by Courtney and Phineas of Stereotype Studio, supported by you, the listener. 
a big thank you to our friends who shared their stories with us. If you want to support the show, please subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.